Okay, folks, let's get started. Uh, today we have Mitch Sears joining us. Um, Mitch is the Sustainability Manager at the City of Davis, and uh, he's one of a couple of lecturers that are focusing on sustainability issues, um, and not necessarily focusing on landscape conservation per se, but the larger picture of sustainability and sustainability industry. Uh, um, Mitch, um, Mitch and I have an interesting relationship over the decades that we've known each other. Um, I had a hand in, in his future a little bit. Uh, before I went to grad school and did at Davis, um, I was an open space activist. And I lobbied the city, um, along with a group of people that, that we got together called Friends of the Greenway, uh, in the mid-80s, this was articulated uh, through the Landscape Architecture Program uh, for a vision of open space around the entire city. And if any of you have done the bike loop, the bike loop is sort of a... Uh, how many of you done the bike loop? <laughs> Not enough, but it's <laughs> sort of an envisionment of that uh, idea. And we, uh, our group lobbied the city to create uh, Mitch's position. Uh, which was open space coordinator for the city of Davis. We wanted a full-time position for someone to focus on these issues and make it happen. And Mitch has been doing it, well, up until recently, uh, for the past 20 years or something. Quite an amazing run. Um, Mitch has a, a background in economics and environmental planning. Uh, he went to UC Santa Cruz and uh, Sonoma State, so he's a local, uh, local guy. And he's been at the city of Davis for over 20 years, so uh, he has an incredible uh, amount of experience in this area. And he's recently transitioned to this um, sustainability uh, program. And um, for that, so um, Steve, thanks very much for, for having me over here. Um, Steve and I spoke a little bit uh, yesterday, and really this is more of a recruiting trip for me than anything else, because what we do at the City of Davis is we we really explore new ideas, or we like to think we explore new ideas, especially in sustainability, and um, we have a great interest in having input, fresh input from good minds and good thinkers. So if any of this, any of this resonates with any of you, um, and you have an interest in maybe doing an internship with the city of Davis or one of our other community-based organizations we work with. Um, to, uh, um, as Steve mentioned, I've been with the city for 20 years. I didn't do the open space program uh, for, for 20 years. That was a bulk of my time. But really, I actually started off um, very, uh, in a very humble way with the city. I issued building permits at the front end. So, um, it was uh, a difficult time to get a job in California when I came to Davis. <coughs> so I decided to um, start at the bottom floor. And I, you know, to my benefit and to the city's credit, they've allowed me to grow in the position um, and expand my responsibilities and kind of follow my interests over time. And it's uh, convenient because it's consistent with what the city's objectives have been. So what I'm going to talk with you a little about as Steve said, it's mostly sustainability. I'm going to talk about what the city is doing right now. Um, but in the sustainability field, um, we're dealing mostly with uh, greenhouse gas emissions, climate change, not surprisingly, because uh, it touches a lot of different aspects of what we would call sustainability. My guess is that uh, since I'm 
about midstream in the speaker series. You guys have talked about sustainability, kind of what it means. Um, but from the city's perspective, it's a very basic kind of, kind of definition, right? We're looking at environment, how sort of the intersection of environment, economics, and sort of social um, aspects. So we'll talk a little bit about that, about what the city's doing. But what I'm going to do at the end is I'm going to pose a question to you. Um, because one of the great debates that's going on right now in sustainability um, is, do you prepare or do you prevent? And I'll get into that uh, a little bit more. So uh, with that, so of course, operator error. So. So we're going to talk about prevention, we're going to talk about some of the things that the city is doing, we're going to talk about preparation, some of the vulnerabilities that we have here in the Davis area, and then this hypothetical that I talked about, you guys to help us think about these things. So Davis, we have a, a long history of innovation um, in our community, a lot of that is driven by the fact that the university is here, and we like to think of ourselves as being sort of a living laboratory. Um, we try out a lot of different ideas, uh, some of which come from campus. Um, some of them even work, most of them don't. Um, but what we do is we try to learn from those experiences and then share that information with other communities that have similar interests. Um, we'll talk a little bit about what some of those things are, but um, in the, uh, in the, we're kind of focusing in sustainability right now on kind of three basic sectors, energy, transportation, and uh, waste and consumption. Um, from some of our early innovations, Title 24, which is the state energy code, it got its start here in Davis. Um, rumor is that there were some people who used to work at the Energy Commission in Sacramento. Uh, this is back in the, the early 70s, sitting around a table, a dinner table in Davis, um, talking about why there isn't better insulation in walls. So out of that came a local ordinance passed here in Davis that went on to influence the state, um, and they adopted Title 24 which by some estimates now save Californians on the order of several billion dollars a year in energy costs compared to other states. And so that got started here in Davis. We also had the first utility scale solar power plant uh, that was connected to the grid. Um, it's built just north of Davis um, on uh, the single wastewater treatment plant. Small site, but what it was was a research facility where we got together with the utilities, we got together with the Department of Energy, the California Energy Commission, and built this, um, built the site. And what it's done is it's actually um, informed the development um, and reliability data around solar panels. So if anybody or any of your parents have solar panels on their rooftops, some of that information came from Davis. That started here. Um, in transportation, um, you guys probably know quite a bit about um, bike riding in Davis. I hope you do. Um, uh, we have a, a mode share split of 20%, which basically means that um, about 20% of the trips taken in Davis are done by bicycle. That's orders of magnitude better than the next best city in the United States. Now, I'm not saying that that number shouldn't be dramatically higher if we want to push it that way, but again, it shows um, some of the, the interest level in, in this uh, these issues here in Davis. We were the first community in the country to have bike lanes, and if you can think about it, painting lines on a street was a, a radical idea at the time. 
a radical idea, and it got a lot of pushback. And as silly as that sounds now, um, that was a big issue, a big community issue. So it, taught, it, it gives you an idea about the types of discussions that go on around these, these types of issues of sustainability, even back, back at that time. Um, Unitrans, hopefully most of you can ride Unitrans, um, but that's uh, a really unique system in the university community. It's a combination between the city and, uh, and campus. That's why it's called <coughs> Unitrans, um, because it combines the two into one system. And uh, so that's basically the city puts its federal transportation dollars into the transportation system that's really centered on moving people in and around the community and into campus. Um, on consumption, we were one of the first cities to adopt a recycling program that's been up and running for 40 years. We're, um, we're pushing towards higher levels of recycling and use. Um, but again, it gives you a basic understanding. And, and what Steve talked about what I did before on open space and biodiversity protection. We were the first city, probably in the country, to adopt a, uh, an ordinance around protecting farmland and requiring developers to um, actually set aside an equal amount of farmland for farmland that they converted. Um, in part because Davis sits on a unique worldwide resource, which is the soils, and the climate allows us to grow pretty here. So it really is on par with any of the other um, sort of great monuments or natural resources that are anywhere in the world. I mean, think about uh, the soils around Davis as being on par with Yosemite, or you know something else that you might prize really, really uh, put a lot of value in, and that's one of the reasons why the city adopted that. So we're looking at biodiversity, we're looking at habitat protection. So it gives you an idea about some of the things that we were doing. Uh, it gives you some context for what we're doing now. So, um, like I said, we're dealing mostly with um, greenhouse gas emissions, and this is too busy of a slide, but. Uh, the, the pie chart on the left um, is our initial greenhouse gas emission um, inventory that we did, um, and the pie chart on sorry, the pie chart on the right is the follow-up which we did in uh, 2012. Um, we had to back a little bit um, and get it available in 2010. But basically, what we found was that we were, as a community, we were reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Um, Primarily, that had to do with um, the, uh, the energy mix that PG&E was developing or delivering to all of us. Um, but what was important here, um, what we learned from doing this work, is that transportation is by far the biggest chunk of our local greenhouse gas emissions, and that's pretty much true if you look across the state as well. So we focus a lot of our effort and a lot of our um, work on the transportation sector. How do you get people out of their cars, you know, ride buses, walking, uh, riding bikes, that kind of thing. So we spend a lot of time uh, on that issue. Um, yes, um, Last slide. Um, what does it mean to have community natural gas? So community natural gas, that's the, that's all the, um, the natural gas that's used in heating and cooking and everything else. So, that's a whole city or the city? for the entire community. Yes, the entire community. The entire community. So not this isn't just the city operation. So this isn't just our fleet kind of thing. This is a, a snapshot of the entire community. Um, and we try to do these once every five years to give us an idea about where we're at. 
Um, and the 2007, we backcast to 1990, which is a baseline year that a lot of communities use here in California and the state uses as well. And what we're doing is the next slide will show um, we're setting goals based on those, um, based on that, um, that information. So in 2008, our city council adopted these greenhouse gas emission reduction goals. Um, they're very, very aggressive. Um, they're most aggressive in the state because you can't get any more aggressive than going carbon neutral by mid-century. Uh, what, we, what we did, though, is we said, realistically speaking, uh, though Davis is a leader in these areas, um, it may not be practical to be able to get to carbon neutral by 2050. So what we did is we took the, um, the top bullet point in each one of these is the state goal, and then the bottom is the, the, the city's stretch goal. So we're looking to try to land somewhere between 80% and carbon neutral um, by 2050. It's incredibly ambitious, really, really difficult work. Um, and it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing sort of process and conversation. Um, and part of the reason why I want to come and talk to you today and, and accept Steve's invitation is it's, it's less my problem and more your problem, frankly, um, because you're going to be living with this stuff. Right? You're going to have to figure out how we get to these levels because by 2050, you know, I hope to live in 2050, but I'm not going to be doing this in 2050. Um, so it really is going to be a transition and a sort of long-term view of, of these issues. But the city, um, similar to what the university has done, they set really ambitious goals to try to spur innovation and create creative solutions. And you know, feel free to interrupt me and ask questions as we go. Okay. That's working better now. I have a, I have a, I have a question for you. You go back. Questions except for from Steve. Anyway, <laughs> watch this guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, back to the other one? Uh, let, yeah. Okay. One more. The, one more. The electrical part. The, like the community electric. Okay. I recently found out that the state does not consider rooftop solar panels to be part of the alternative energy mix that the state, so when they measure alternative energy, they're not measuring a single panel on a person or business's roof. That's just stunning to me. But um, how does this account for that? Does this include solar panels on people's houses and PVUSA and all that stuff? Yeah, so what this does, so focusing on community electricity, um, it's a simple measurement of all the electricity that's used in Davis um, that travels through your meter. So if, if you do have a rooftop system, um, that's what we call behind the meter. So you produce electrons on the rooftop, and it goes into the, the power that you're using at that moment. But you're also connected through the meter to the grid, so that if you're not there using your dishwasher or doing whatever, those electrons flow out into the grid. So. Um, so that's basically how the system works. But what this is, is just that, that bulk number of what PG is delivering to every household and business and organization here in Davis. So, so it is somewhat accounted for, um, because it's not power that PG is delivering. Right. So. 
And, and right now, I mean, there's there's a lot of uptake of, you know, focusing on that for a second, there's a lot of uptake of rooftop solar here in Davis. I mean, we're, um, we're on the high end of, of communities that have installed, you know, and again, we're talking about sort of uh, accounting for all the different rooftops in Davis, both commercial and <coughs> So we've done a fairly good job in that, but there's a lot of work that we've done. So here's the goal. So um, here's our... The, the kind of buzzword that we're working with right now is net zero. Um, we call it net zero because um, we're not talking about everything absolutely happening in Davis to be able to get us to a net zero either energy or greenhouse gas emission sort of situation. So we're talking about there may be opportunities, uh, instances where um, the city is involved with a program or a project that would cause greenhouse gas emissions to be reduced um, outside of city limits. And, um, if it's fair for us to get credit for that, then we would. Really so, um, just to kind of go through a couple of things we're doing right now, um, we do have a focus on efficiency and renewables. We're trying to figure out what that combination is. So, efficiency is basically reducing right the amount of electricity that you use or energy that you use, and renewables are um, things that don't take fossil fuels. Essentially. Um, so, we have a program called. Uh, uh, we wrote a report through the California Energy Commission. We got grant funding to do it. It's called Davis Free. Um, and what that did is it allowed us to um, basically produce a, a big plan that said, if we we're going to get to net zero, how would we do that? What would be the combination of energy efficiency and renewables done at the local level? And is that feasible? And we actually worked with some folks here on campus um, to help us with that. But we have a, a big team um, that helped us come up with, with, um, with essentially a kind of framework for how we might be able to do that. And again, surprising as it sounds, we're far out ahead of where most of the communities are on this. Most communities aren't really thinking about how they use electricity, how they use energy. Um, and so it's a, it's a step forward uh, for us, and hopefully we can share that information with others. Um, we do have a plan. So Davis Free developed this plan for a net zero energy city. We're participating in the Georgetown Energy Prize. It's a $5 million prize national competition. The community can reduce its energy use the most over the course of a couple of years, um, gets uh, the bulk of that $5,000,000 prize. So we're competing with about 50 other cities across the country at this point. It's a little disorganized, but um, it still is what we say it's on our path. So we're doing it. Um, we wouldn't kind of go out of our way to compete in something um, just for the sake of competing and getting the prize. But since we're doing that work anyway, it makes sense for us to do it. Um, Community Choice Energy, this is a big part of what I'm doing right now. Um, it's being done in Marin, in Sonoma, um, City of Lancaster, down in Southern California as well. A lot of communities that are looking at this. And basically what it does is it takes, your PGE bill has three components to it. One is generation, how the energy is produced. Um, the others are related to how the energy is transmitted from where it's produced. So it's transmission and distribution. Um, Community Choice Energy allows communities to pool all their energy use and, and then go out and contract for that, that energy use. And what it allows us to do is have local choice um, about what the renewable energy mix is. What they're finding in Marin and Sonoma and Lancaster is that communities can do that effectively and deliver, so you get local control, you get consumer choice because you can stay with the community you want or you can do the local program. <coughs> 
and they're able to uh, pull in a greater renewable energy mix, make basically the energy cleaner, um, at a lower price. So it's kind of a why wouldn't you do it proposition rather than why would you? Um, and so we're working right now on developing that solution. So that's a, a big thing. We think we can double the amount of renewable energy in our mix locally by using that kind of program. Um, and with competitive pricing, we think it's a, a really good fit for Davis. And then um, I mentioned PDUSA before. Uh, we're expanding it from one megawatt, which it is right now, to about 15 megawatts. We think that that's about 10% of the overall electricity use here in town. And um, the next slide I'm going to show you is from the Davis Free Project. Again, it model, it's really busy, but it modeled um, what Davis could do to try to meet its goal. So um, it takes us out to 2035. That was our planning horizon for that particular project. These upper um, uh, parts of the table, uh, unrestrained use, so that's if we didn't do anything, this is how many um, gigawatt hours we'd be using in 2035. Reduced usage is basically, that's the energy efficiency piece, so we can get about 60 uh, gigawatt hours, 60 gigawatt hours um, reduced by 2035. And then this is the mix that we talked about, so um, solar hot water heating, on-site rooftop PV, Community PV, like the um, PVUSA project that I just mentioned, and then community wind, um, which is somewhat problematic because there are other potential impacts associated with that. But there's a big wind farm that's just south of here, um, down in Solano County. It's, um, it's right in the delta, and um, there's so there's good wind energy potential. Uh, what we consider to be a local resource. So those combinations of things. We believe it's feasible um, to reduce our imports, meaning energy we bring in from outside, um, dramatically. And this is a zero net carbon energy mix for Davis. Steve. Have you guys considered microgrids? Yeah, so microgrids are basically you isolate parts of your overall grid and you make it potentially more resilient, meaning that you don't have many power outages. And you can start to incorporate um, renewable energy a little bit more. And you can you can use demand response, meaning that if somebody doesn't somebody doesn't need their air conditioner going all the time, you can use microgrids um, more effectively to to reduce the amount of energy that's being demanded in a particular time. And that's important because the peak of energy use is the most one of the most important things because you have to design the entire system to meet that one that one um, day or one instant where you need all that, that power. It's kind of like when you go to Target, right? The parking lot is huge. They build it gigantic. and then But they only build it for like two or three days a year. But they have to build it, you know, so big. Same thing with the energy system. They don't have to, okay, but they do. Um, with energy, you do have to do it. Um, but what that uh, demand response helps us do is reduce that peak so you don't have to build relatively high-polluting power plants to meet that last little bit. And you only run, they're called peaker power plants, and you only run those things you know, a couple of times, but they're huge, um, they're relatively dirty, and they take a lot of money to build and to keep maintained. Um, so we think we can get at that with microgrids and some of these other types of systems that we're talking about. Uh, in transportation, I talked a little bit about that. How am I doing on time? Um, 
Uh, we're looking at uh, electric vehicle here um, in Davis. We, we won a EV readiness award um, last year. Um, that was we were up against some pretty good competition there. And we, uh, we were awarded along with Google and a couple of other you know, high-profile communities in the Bay Area. So doing a lot of work here. We have an EV charging grant again through the Energy Commission. We're working with the, with the Institute for Transportation Studies here on campus to model out um, when people are going to need EV charging and how they're going to use it. Um, we didn't want to take just, hey, let's put in a bunch of EV chargers and see if people use them. We really want to understand how people are using them, how they're using them, and be smart about that infrastructure investment. Um, uh, we have mode share goals. Um, we're at 20%, as I mentioned right now, for bicycles. Um, by 2035, we're hoping to be able to increase that. Not hoping, we're working towards um, increasing that to 50%. And the 30-10-10 is 30% bicycling, 10% walking, 10% mass transit. And uh, we're a fair ways there. I can't give you an exact number right now, but we're working with a lot of community partners, including TAPS around campus, Unitrans, others, to, to help us meet that, uh, meet that goal. Um, Beyond Platinum, we're one of four Platinum communities. We reward that in 2013. I think we were the first ones. We were the first ones to achieve gold status um, through, uh, through the League of American Bicyclists. Um, and then we were the first ones, I think, to get Platinum status. And just to let you know, campus is also, they're gold or Platinum. That's quite an achievement as well. And then we talked about Unitrans, but there's also other mass transit here in town that we, uh, that we support, Yellow Bus, which is the county wide system, we've got Florida, which is the train. Um, and we want to obviously continue to support the shared transit. In consumption, um, we have solid waste reduction goals that go to 75%. Um, right now we're hovering around 55%, give or take. And what we're doing is we're going to be doing curbside composting for those of you who live off campus. Get ready for this. Basically, you're going to get another bin. If you're living in a single-family house, uh, I don't know how we're going to do it in multi-family or apartments. But um, basically, you're going to be able to compost now, which right now, most of that goes in the garbage. Um, a lot of people do backyard composting, but um, this, will, this is really scaling up the idea of composting. So we're going to collect that, and that will drive those reduction, those waste reduction goals, or towards those waste reduction goals, pretty significantly. Um, the drought is obviously a big issue. That sustainability touches that as well. We have a program called WaterSmart, an online tool that has put together. Um, we had water use reduction. Um, this year, averaging around 25 to 30 percent on a month-to-month -month basis here in, in Davis. So again, those of you who live off campus, thank you very much for helping us achieve our goals. Um, but you probably heard a lot about what the state is going through um, and what the implications of that are. Um, and then we're also looking at uh, biodigester technology and, and working with uh, UC Davis and Yellow uh, County. Where would the biodigester be? Would it be in town? There's a couple, it's pretty early. Um, there's a couple of possibilities. One is here on campus, the biodigester um, associated with the, the campus landfill. Um, so it may be that we just take feedstock from, from the community and, and 
push it that direction. Um, it could be that uh, there's a system that's set up at the landfill in Neal County just outside of Davis. Um, so there's, there's a couple of different possible options. It still is technology that's being sort of proved out um, at this point, so it's not clear exactly when uh, that might come on. It's probably the way it's going um, And then the other big piece of, of it is um, engagement. Um, we're, we're working from the premise that um, you know, frankly, a lot of the technologies already exist. A lot of the systems are already in place. Um, most of it has to do with how we all make choices. Um, and so we're putting a lot of time and effort into understanding why and how people make choices um, on a daily basis. And whether you choose to ride your bike or get in a car, whether you choose to eat a vegetarian meal as opposed to a meal that has more energy intensive, like why are people making those choices? And so we're working with um, local community organizations like Cool Davis um, to try to understand what those dynamics are and how we begin to have conversations with households, with businesses, with organizations about how those choices are made and how we can move towards um, sort of lower carbon choices. Actually. So you know, bike bicycling is a, is a great example, but. What we try to talk about is, in transportation, for example, we want to have answers to on multiple different levels because, you know, we're all we all have different needs, we all have different ideas about what we want to do with our time and day. Um, so when we talk to people about transportation, we say, well, it'd be great, you know, if you could forego the car and use one of the other, the other um, methods that's available to you. And say, you know, the first and best option is you know, right outside of your door, there's a sidewalk system that covers every inch of the city. There's millions and millions of dollars been invested in those sidewalks. Please use them. If that doesn't work for you, then jump on your bike, because there's bike lanes and bike paths all around the community. Again, millions and millions of dollars have been invested in that infrastructure. Please use that. If that doesn't work for you, we have a car share system. We have a zip car here. If that doesn't work for you, there's Unitrain. If that doesn't work for you, there's these other systems that are in place, like Yolabus or Capital Corridor. Make the lowest carbon choice that you can, because that is really what drives uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Um, I had a conversation with a friend the other day, and he said, you know, I feel bad about, you know, I've got this big giant SUV parked you know, in front of my house. And I said, well, how can we use it? And he said, well, you know, I really only use it a couple times a year to pull a trailer and to do something else. And I said, that's low carbon, right? If you don't ever use it, that's okay, you know? But when we're making our daily choices, you know, think about it in terms of those systems that are available uh, to all of us. And that's the kind of conversation we're having in the community. So, Similar in energy and waste and consumption, we went through, we got an award uh, back in 2013, a statewide award, we were the coolest city in California, because we were able to, to chip away at this behavior question. We got more people in Davis to participate in this program and reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. Um, it was an online tool, it was kind of, kind of fun to, to play around with, but we ended up winning that inaugural award. So we were the coolest city in California, which happened to be the coolest state in the country. Um, so, but to give you an idea, the average David Hopkins household is about 41 metric tons. 
of CO2 per year when you convert everything over transportation and, and food consumption and electricity. Um, to reach sustainable levels, this 80% below the carbon neutral, every one of those households needs to be down to two times a year. So think about the choices that you make. And this isn't a guilt trip, but think about the choices that you make and the um, information that's flowing to us now from all the climate scientists telling us you know, where sea level, level rise is going and things like that, um, and start to think about how that all sort of fits together. And it really does take a community-wide effort. So that's why we're putting so much work into the communication piece of it, because we really need to um, uh, combine the technological innovation with the social innovation that this represents. So the other thing that we're looking at, um, again, how 15 minutes. minutes. So the other, the other side of the coin is the preparation. So this is where we start to get into the rules of the dilemma question. Um, the city is working with its capital regional climate readiness collaborative, along with title, but it is they're working on all these things that are, you know, all these potential outcomes from from climate change here in the capital region. And that stretches up to Tahoe down to basically us and kind of around the Sacramento region. But um, you know, critical infrastructure impacts. What happens to the roads? It's all asphalt. What happens when we have a climate that's more like Phoenix here than what we have today? You know, when we have sustained 110, 115 degree days, um, which is what's predicted and what's coming, well, how do our roads react to that? How does our infrastructure react to these kinds of things? The things that we take for granted um, every single day. Um, what about the public health impacts? You know, the, the different vectors or you know, diseases that come into our area um, because uh, you know, a warmer climate tends to uh, support those types of um, mosquitoes, West Nile, and that kind of thing. More to the point of this, the endangered, you know, the natural systems and biodiversity. I mean, how, how are things shifting here within our region? And how do we start to think about that? Um, how stressed are those, uh, are those species at this point, and how are they going to be stressed going forward? It's going to benefit some, perhaps, but it's also going to shift some of our region. And then the economy, <coughs> huge driver here in Central Valley. We talked a little bit about um, what does changing climate do with that? For example, almonds and walnuts are huge in this area, huge. Um, and but they almonds need to have um, cool nights to set, right? They don't work if you don't have enough cool nights, and so. What happens? So these are the kinds of things we're starting to think about um, and think about more deeply. And at the local level, we're looking at through our climate action and adaptation plan, what are our local vulnerabilities? We need to assess what that is. Um, food, water, energy, critical infrastructure, health system, all these different things that we mentioned. So those are the kinds of things that we need to get ready for because it's a pretty good, um, it's a pretty good possibility. It's going to happen. I mean, it's going to happen. And are we prepared for that? Um, and then the adaptation, adaptation plan, how do we as a community successfully adapt to the transition climate and economy? Um, how resilient are we as a, a community? So these are the things that we're thinking about. But the conundrum really is how do you balance those two? We're talking about prevention, which is most of what I talk about, all the different things that we're doing as a community, campus is doing similar things. Um, but now we're at a point where we know that there's going to be changes. So how much effort do we put in, do we shift from trying to prevent it from happening <coughs> to preparing for that? 
And so that's one of the real questions that is now um, coming into sharper focus in the sustainability uh, field. Um, what is the balance and to try to prevent? So in summary, I mean, um, what we're moving towards, we're moving towards a zero net you know, community. Um, we're trying to implement our climate action um, plan. And we want to position ourselves to succeed, whatever the climate looks like, whatever the economy looks like. That's what we're doing. So, with the couple of minutes that I have left, I, I wanted to pose a really basic question. So, there's people on every Tuesday night that sit over here at City Hall, we call city council members, and they have to make decisions like this. Um, we don't have a lot of time to get into this, but these are the things. I would really encourage you to start thinking about it, whether it's from a biodiversity standpoint, whether whatever your interest is, because I know that this is a mixture of, of different, different folks here. But whatever your interest is, there's a connection point back to these topics, and I would encourage you to start thinking about them because there's some really interesting and creative ways to address these things. The other thing we talk a lot about are um, are these co-benefits, right? Creative people, more creative than me, um, more creative than Steve, than Steve, others, perhaps. Um, think about how, you know, what's the intersection? How can you actually get multiple benefits from doing something in particular? And the example that I gave here maybe isn't the best one, but increasing the efficiency of a community to save money. The saving money is the co-benefit, right? Uh, depending on what your objectives are. Um, but the increased efficiency reduces greenhouse gas emissions. So what we're looking for are those, those key kind of actions that um, you can make a business case for to say we're saving money, um, we're saving greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and the, the quick example that I would give is I manage the city's um, conversion of uh, our streetlights to LED technology. It was a long process. We got a little bit wrong in the beginning. We got it more right as we went forward. But we were able to reduce the energy use in those um, streetlights by 80%. Right? That's cost savings, that's real cost savings. Um, it's real energy savings and real greenhouse gas emission savings. So it really benefits a lot of the things we're trying to achieve. So I, I don't know, Steve, what you want to do, if you want to just open up the questions or if you want, you know. It's your, it's your call. I think you ought to get some reaction. All right, so let's get some reaction to it. So, yes. So you talked about zero net energy, which is great. How do you guys, what is your plan for zero net waste? Have you considered that? Uh, well, part of it is the, the biodigester. Um, part of it is recapturing as much of that material. But part of it is also thinking about the upstream issues. So when a, when you know somebody's manufacturing something, produces something in a package, you think about that sort of when they're making that decision about how they package something. I mean, that's just a basic example. but. Um, Zero net waste um, is a difficult thing to get to, um, but drastic reductions are, are absolutely possible. And then there's other things that are called wasted energy, for example. It's a technology that's emerging right now, um, but basically you, you, you zap the waste and you can break it down into component parts. It's not burning, I mean, it's, it's really, it, it's kind of burning, I and mean, there's different ways to approach it, but basically you get energy out of those out of that material that you can't do anything else with. Um, and then you can get close to zero now at that point and it becomes an energy source. They're talking about actually mining landfills 
for that purpose. Right. So we're actually going back into you know decades worth of trash and picking it up and you know, using it to produce energy. Um, so that's that's one. Yes. I actually have a question. Um, sure. It seems like Davis is pretty ahead of the curve in terms of sustainability compared to other cities. And I was just curious, like, from your, in your opinion, what can other cities do in order to like um, get funding or pass policies to become more sustainable? Because I feel like that's the biggest issue, like in bigger cities, is figuring out how to like become like Davis or. So it's a really good question and sort of the dissemination of the information. So I talked a little bit about that before. We're, we're open to sharing our experiences with others. They're not always a perfect fit, but they do give some guidance. And, um, but in terms of what they can do, I mean, it depends on where they're at on the spectrum. I mean, everybody has work to do. Davis, even though we're, I think, probably you accurately described it, we're on this end of the spectrum in terms of trying to work towards these goals. Um, we still have time to do it. We need to start a mode share split on bicycling. We really need to have that. But in terms of where people are starting on scale, I mean, we, we started with a lot of these things very basic kind of early on um, objectives, and there's so many really good ideas that are happening right now. I, I spoke at a conference for um, planners a couple weeks ago, and there were some really good questions around that um, and learning. I mean, it's basically kind of a slow learning process. Some of the stuff needs to advance really quickly. So the community-based energy that I mentioned before, there's all kinds of communities that are picking that up. And that's a huge thing because it captures an entire community in one fell swoop, and it doubles the amount of renewable energy that goes into that community. That's a market-based solution that has a lot of appeal. So that's the kind of, those are the kinds of things that other communities can do fairly quickly, fairly easily. And if there's enough examples like Davis or you know, some of the other kind of usual suspects like Berkeley and Santa Monica and other places. Um, if there's enough of us doing it and there's a critical mass that's built, it makes it really, really well, much easier for other communities to adopt those policies and start to work towards those goals. The large urban centers, it, it's kind of interesting. We did a, a heat map for greenhouse gas emissions, and the large urban centers actually do pretty well um, because they're walkable. You know, people don't own cars and, and many, you know, as much. Um, so it's really the suburbs and places like Davis that are commuting and doing all these different things where a lot of the real issues are. So it's in those types of communities, and one of the reasons why we think our work is, is that much more important because there's more suburbs uh, creating more greenhouse gas emissions than really there are kind of urban centers. Um, so it's a partial answer to your question, but. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of really exciting things, and the other thing I would point out too is we're depending on you because you're not going to all live in Davis, right? We need thought leaders going into these communities. What we like to say is that the biggest export of Davis is people, your students, right? You come here, you live, you get an idea about what the community's doing, you hear people like me talking about this kind of thing, and then you're going to be going out and you're going to be participating in your communities. Um, as you get a little bit older, as you have families, as you do different things with your lives, as you maybe get involved in politics, um, in decision making, we're really depending on you to think about these things and adapt them to the situation that you're in. That's really probably our best hope, frankly. Um, and it's not just UC Davis, it's virtually every other um, college campus in the state um, has this opportunity. That's way too optimistic. <laughs>
I, I don't know what the number is, but I know a large percentage of uh, Davis's population is transient or temporary for students, and they don't really have a choice like when they move into an apartment. And, like you don't have a lot of control over your CSUs um, as far as like with renewable energies and stuff like that. But uh, also, a lot of people come in and out of Davis, and I was wondering if the people commuting here, because I, I don't see a lot of equitable housing. Mm -hmm. Available in Davis. In fact, like I come from San Diego, where I thought I was paying a lot, <laughs> and I was really surprised because I, you know, to me this is coming home ten years later, and I've seen the price increase substantially. So I'm just wondering, like, with all the people coming in and out and not staying here, how how does that affect like the long term projection for like sustainable energy usage and greenhouse gas emissions for Davis or more generally speaking? I mean, for for Davis. Yeah, uh, in particular. Well, so the the Community Choice Energy Program actually applies to anybody who pays the utility bill. If you pay your electricity um, at your apartment, you can benefit from that. So you can immediately double your renewable energy content if you choose to participate in that program. And if you want to pay a little bit more, you can get 100%. So that's a really key piece. Um, so we. We, we noodled on this issue quite a bit because better than 50% of the housing units in Davis are rentals. So we need to be able to, to idea, you know, get ideas about how that, how we can tackle that. And a lot of the really simple, effective solutions that we talk about in community engagement really can be done by people who don't have control over their rooftop or don't have control over their uh, water bill or uh, don't have as much control over you know, what happens you know, with, the, with where they're living. Um, there are simple choices like I've talked about before with riding a bike or taking alternative transportation um, when it's available to you, participating in these energy programs when they're available. Um, and there's a lot of programs like through PGE um, that do uh, work uh, towards energy efficiency in multifamily and rental housing as well. So, there are some opportunities, and Cool Davis, the community-based organization that I talked about, they have, a, they, have a, um, they have a pamphlet that can help people who live in those situations understand what their options are um, and where they can make progress. Um, and we're actively working with, um, with apartment owners to try to figure out how we get to more efficient buildings so that you're paying less, or people are paying less generally, for their energy bills in those settings. Um, but that's finding, again, that kind of um, combination that it has a good return on investment for them, um, and it can be a benefit to the people who are living in their, in their facilities. And a lot of times we're talking about you know, these improvements help you uh, uh, market your, your um, apartments, create a distinction between another apartment and all of these you feel you pay less on your energy bill, probably go there. Um, but also on how the upkeep of their of their units. Um, a lot of times when we talk about that, we start to talk about insulation and windows and things that make you know living there more comfortable for the people who live there. So again, a partial answer, but you know, if we have enough time, we could maybe go into a little bit more detail. Yes. This is just a clarifying question about sure. the motion but is, does that 20% describe students and the city, or is that just the city? I don't know that's that's that in the city. Like so those are the, those are the traffic counts. That comes from the census data. Uh, people reporting. It's self-reporting, but it's you know, overall the, the number that we have to work with. Now, the, 
there are um, bike counts and everything that are done here on campus. We work closely with, um, with, uh, with campus folks on trying to understand what the how many people are actually coming to campus. But obviously, the culture split is much much higher here on campus than it is out in the community. Um, but we want to what we want to try to do is get to that level in the community. Where we need to go. Yeah. Um, well, um, I think it goes back to the, the question about I mean, so many people are here in here, um, and it's really difficult to find solutions for them. So that's really a target audience that we're, that we're trying to work with because behavior really is the most effective especially in that setting. And you can't make concessions and so but those issues we have So that's probably the one of the key ones. And again, one of the reasons why some people One last quick question. All right, let's thank Nick. And if you ask a question, come on up, I've got a little bit of sweat.